Good evening. Good evening. I know Mary did a great job of reading the scripture, but I want to read the same scripture from the modern English version. And it reads, Surely my soul remembers and is humbled within me. When that's this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great towards us, O oh God. Pray with me if you would. Kind fathers, in the sweet name of Jesus that we say thanks for this opportunity to speak your word to these your waiting people. God, I've done what I know to do. I've done the research and written a manuscript but without your anointing. I'm a clanging brass and a sounding cymbal. And so God, I ask you to use me in this moment to sp speak hope to these your people that they might leave differently than the way they came. It's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray and give you thanks. Amen. Amen. If I had to tag a title to this message tonight, it would be, When My Soul Remembers. The late Dr. Frederick G. Sampson of Detroit, Michigan, preached a message at the STVU convocation back in the late 1980s about an internationally known painting that was done in the late 1880s by artist George Frederick Watts. In this painting is a study in contradictions because the title and the details on the canvas seem to be in direct contradiction to one another. The painting's title is Hope. It shows a blindfolded woman sitting on top of the world, playing a harp. What more desirable position could one ever hope to achieve than being on top of the world with everyone dancing to their music? However, as you look closer, the illusion of power gives way to the reality of pain. You see, the world that this woman sits on is torn by war, destroyed by hate, decimated by despair, and devastated by distrust. The world on which she sits seems on the brink of destruction. Famine rage ravages millions of inhabitants in one hemisphere, while feasting and gluttony are enjoyed by inhabitants in another hemisphere. This world is a ticking time bomb with apartheid in one hemisphere and apathy in the other. This world seems to be the place that you want to be, but when you think about places like our government who cares more about bombs for the enemy than about bread for the hungry, much of this world is still more concerned about the color of skin than it is about the content of character. A world more finicky about what's on the outside of your head than about the quality of education our children get or what's inside your head. This same world is more concerned about providing billions of dollars for a wall or a war than they are about health care and social security for our seniors. That's the world in which this woman sits. You and I think about being on top of the world as being in heaven, but when you look closely at the woman in Watts' painting, you discover this woman is actually in hell. She is wearing rags. Her torn clothes are, it looks as if the woman has come through Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Her head is bandaged and blood is seeping through. Scars and cuts are visible on her face, arms, and legs. And an even closer look reveals that all but one string on her hop has been ripped out or broken. 
even the instrument that she's playing has been damaged by what she has experienced. It's a classic example of quiet despair, yet the artist has the audacity to name the painting Hope. Dr. Jeremiah Wright is quoted for saying, uh, saying for a message he entitled The Audacity of Hope that the illusion of power sitting on top of the world gives way to the reality of pain. And isn't it just like that with many of us? We give the illusion when we show up with our Versace suit on that everything is well, but really we're living in a quiet hell. Isn't that the way that we act when we act like we're privileged in a priv privileged position on top of the world? But if you look closer, our lives reveal the reality of a pain too deep for our tongue to tell. For the woman in the painting, what looks like being in heaven is actually a quiet existence at the devil's house. You see, there are times in all of our lives when it will appear to others that we are on top of the world and everyone is dancing to our beat. It will appear that we have a great job, the luxury car, the best clothes, a wonderful relationship, or the best education. But if the truth be told, we're living in a silent hell. When this occurs, I want to suggest that we begin to reflect and see if we don't remember the Lord for his faithfulness and his kindness. Surely our soul will remember and we will begin to speak life back into ourselves, remembering that we cannot give up on our hope. The word tells us that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. That's reason enough to hope right there. You may say, preacher, you don't know my story. I'm one paycheck away from being homeless. I say to you that there's still hope because Jesus will use someone to be a shelter in the time of storm. And I don't mean just rain. Or someone else might say, my diagnosis is terminal and I've lost all hope. And I say to you, there's still hope. For the scripture says in Isaiah that because of Jesus' stripes, that we are already healed. There's hope because the healing that we've been praying for might not be the healing that we're seeing. But thanks be to God, we can still hold on to hope. Roman 8 and 18 reminds us that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So if you're going through any kind of adversity, it's only temporary, and then your soul will remember. Some of you all know that I retired from the public school system after 31 years of teaching, and I've been a minister of the gospel for over 20 years, and I've seen too many things not to know what I'm talking about. I've seen married couples where the husband has a girlfriend in addition to his wife. It's something that nobody talks about. The wife smiles and pretends not to hear the whispers and the gossip. She has the legal papers, but no, he would rather try to buy the Sears Tower in Chicago than to divorce her. That's a living hell. I've seen married couples where the wife discovered that somebody else cares for her as a person and not just as, as a cook, maid, and a call girl all wrapped up in one but there would be a scandal if she left. What would folks say? What about the children? That's a personal hell. I've seen students who give the illusion of being on top of the world with arrogant attitudes, designer clothes, all the trappings of having it all together on the outside, but empty, shallow, hurting, lonely, and afraid on the inside. Many times what looks good on the outside, the illusion of being in power, of sitting on top of the world with a closer look is a sad existence in the devil's house. That's exactly where Jeremiah is in these scriptures read in our hearing. One minute he's living in a quiet hell, but then his soul remembers something. 
He knows that God, the one who has given him this prophetic voice, is a loving, compassionate, and faithful God. Jeremiah knows that every morning, God's mercy is brand new. Jeremiah knows that every morning, there's a reset button pushed in his account with God. The prophet Jeremiah wrote Lamentations in a time of grief and national mourning after the once great city of Jerusalem fell to Babylon around 586 BC. The book describes both anguish and great hope in poetic form. The main theme of the book is God's judgment on Judah's sin as well as his compassion for his people. Lamentation or lament or loud cries are coming from Jerusalem and many expressions of anguish or pain. But in chapter 3 of this great book, right in the middle of the book, there is a beautiful passage of confidence and hope. People of God, we need to lament on behalf of our communities. We need to lament on behalf of our children. We need to lament on behalf of our family. And then allow your soul to remember that it's because God is faithful that he won't leave you in a broken state. He'll always give you that one string to play on. And that's the hope we hold on to this evening. We hold on to it so that our communities can become kingdom focused. Jeremiah's tone changed from despair to hope in Lamentations 3.21. Jeremiah said it like this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. From this day, from this verse and the following verses, we know that even in the darkest of times, God is faithful and will not dismiss his people forever. Every day, every morning, Deborah, God is faithful and his mercies keep us from being consumed in our mess. The text says, and then I remember something that fills me with hope. The ad then is an adverb that tells us that something happened prior to Jeremiah remembering. In another translation, it says, surely I remember. But whatever translation you may be reading, the point remains the same, that when you remember the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for you, your soul has no choice but to cry out, hallelujah. Then I remember something tells me that some other stuff was getting in Jeremiah's way, that something was blocking Jeremiah's hope. But then he came to his senses and said, when this comes to my mind, I remember and then I have hope. As we look at these two worlds between hell and hope, I want you to think about where you live and your own particular predicament. Think about it for a moment, just like the woman in Watts painting, what looks to the public like being in heaven is really a private existence in a different place. Dr. Sampson said in his message that he wanted to quarrel with the artist for having the nerve to name the painting Hope when all he could see in the picture was a quiet desperation. But then Dr. Sampson said he noticed that he had been looking only at the horizontal dimension. That means he was looking this way and not this way. He was looking at the woman being hooked up with the world in which she lived. He failed to take into account her vertical relationships. He had not looked above her head 
because when he looked closer over her head, he found some small notes of music, Jim, moving joyfully and playfully toward heaven. This is where he began to understand why the artist titled the painting Hope. In spite of being in a world torn by war, in spite of being on a world destroyed by hate and decimated by distrust, in spite of being on a world where famine and greed were bad partners, in spite of being on a world where our government crooked politicians and police forces feed the fires of racism and hatred. In spite of being on a world where apathy and nuclear nightmares draw closer with each second, in spite of being on a ticking time bomb with her clothes in rags, her body scarred, bruised and bleeding, her heart all but one string with, with only one string, she had the boldness to make music and praise God. That's shouting material right there. The vertical dimension balanced out what was going on in the horizontal dimension. Saints of God, in spite of what others may be saying to you or about you, in spite of the job you wish you had, in spite of some of the strained relationships you may have with family, friends, children, church members, in spite of the relationship you wish you'd had or the one you wish you could get rid of, don't lose your hope. Because when your soul remembers, your hope will cause you to play one string and sing praises to God. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. You have troubles? Glory in your trouble. That's the horizontal dimension. We glory in tribulation because he says tribulation works patience and patience works experience and experience works hope. That's our vertical dimension. And hope makes us not ashamed. The vertical dimension balances out what's going on in the horizontal dimension. In other words, our vertical relationship, the one with God, will fix everything else that's going on in the horizontal relationship, the trials that we're going through. That's the real story in this scripture, not the condition of Jeremiah's lament, but the condition of his soul, because it's when his soul remembers that Jeremiah is able to say, thanks be to God, regardless to what else is going on in my life, I still have something that I can praise God about. Even when I don't know how God is going to work this thing out, Jeremiah didn't know if what he was hoping for, or praying for, or waiting for was going to be answered in the affirmative, but he still said, then when my soul remembers, I have hope. How do you say that preacher that Jeremiah was really hoping when he said that his soul was anguished and depressed in verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20? He said, I want you to think about it. In spite of what he was saying, when he got to verse 21, his soul remembers something. That's hope. Life had beat him down and dragged him. That was his horizontal. There was no visible sign to indicate that Jeremiah was going to get his request in the affirmative, yet he kept on hoping. Paul said something about that too. No visible sign. He says, hope is what saves us. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he have to hope for it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, there's no visible sign, then we wait with patience. That's, an, that's almost an echo of what the prophet Isaiah said. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
I repeat, the vertical dimension balances out what's going on on the horizontal. There may not be any visible sign of change in your individual situation or whatever your private hell is, but that's just the horizontal. Keep your vertical perspective intact, and you may sing like my ancestors over my head, over my head, I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. As Dr. Jeremiah Wright says, have the audacity to hope for your dreams. Whatever it is that you've been praying for, keep on praying. You may find, like the elders used to sing, there's a bright side somewhere. There's a bright side somewhere. Don't you rest till you find it, for there's a bright side somewhere. The English poet Alexander Pope wrote, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. But where does man turn when hope dries up? Is there hope in the situ when a situation seems hopeless? I would dare say yes, when your soul remembers. The school system in a large city had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during stays in the hospital. One day a teacher who was assigned to the program received a routine call and asked, asking her to visit a particular child. She took the child's name and room number and talked briefly with the child's regular class teacher. We're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now, the teacher said. I'd be grateful if you'd go help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. The hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon. No one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned and was in great pain. Upset at the sight of the boy, she stammered as she told him, I, I, I've been sent by your school to help you with uh, nouns and adverbs. When she left, she felt she hadn't accomplished much, but the next day a nurse asked her, what did you say to that boy? The teacher felt she must have done something wrong and began to apologize. No, no, said the nurse. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy. But ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's as though he's decided to live. Two weeks later, the boy explained to the hospital teacher that he had completely given up on, on life until, on hope until the teacher arrived. Everything changed, he told her, when you came in, because I came to one simple realization. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs on a dying boy. So how do I hold on to hope? What happens when my soul remembers? I'm going to give you three things and I'm going to sit my simple self down. The first thing we want to do is to remember the Lord's great love. When we are in a dark place, the scripture says, then I remembered something that filled me with hope. It was the Lord's steadfast love in some places and other translations say his great love. It remains even when we're in times of trouble. God never stops loving Israel despite their bad behavior and his discipline of them, and he hasn't stopped loving us either. Even in the mess we live in now, with all the horrific behaviors going on, God's love remains steadfast towards us. It is because of God's love for his people that spared them from being wiped out by Babylon, and it's also what's keeping us. So we remember God's great love, and then we remember that his compassion never fails. 
Can you imagine how we would thrive if we would lean into that reality? If we could just grasp that there's a never-ending wellspring of compassion that flows from heaven to earth for us. The most important word that God would have you hear this evening is that every day he extends his compassion to us. And it's because of his compassion, it's because of his mercy that we don't get destroyed. This is why we hope. When the move of God is not plainly evident, it's easy to hope when there are signs all around about how good God is. But to have the courage to hope when God's hand is not evident, you don't know where that somewhere is that the elders sang about, or if there is really a bright side somewhere. That's a true test of faith. To take the one string you have left in the audacity to hope to make music and praise God on with whatever you've got left, even though you can't see what God is up to. That's the real test of faith. Remember, his compassion doesn't stop. You want to remember God's love. You want to remember his compassion is new every morning. And finally, you want to remember that his faithfulness is great. Thomas Chisholm wrote, Great is thy faithfulness as a testament to God's faithfulness through his very ordinary life. Born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky, Chisholm became a Christian when he was 27 and entered into the ministry when he was 36. Though poor health forced him to retire after just one year, Chisholm explained toward the end of his life, my income has never been large at any time due to my impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me until now. Even though through that, Chisholm said, I must not fail to record here, here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me more wonderful displays of providing care for which I am filled with astonishing grateful gratefulness. Just think, with each new day, God gives us the chance to prove his faithfulness. He's never once been proven wrong for his mercies anew every morning. I really am closing. I'm a Baptist preacher. Y'all know we close about three times. I want to tell you about my own personal illustration of real life pain. The principles portrayed so powerfully through hope. The week before my grandmother died, she leaned over and said to me, God has been so good, I don't know what to expect next. Now, I'm looking at her on a horizontal dimension because at this time she has a, an oxygen mask on her face and I'm thinking, well, Granny's mind is going now. Her breath was going first and now her mind is going because all I could see was her struggling to breathe. But Granny was looking on a vertical dimension because she knew, she told us she was going home and we said, yeah, the doctor said probably next Tuesday. She said, I don't mean High Oaks Road. She said, I'm going home. And so Granny was looking at a vertical dimension and I was looking at a horizontal dimension. And I, I tell you, I was 39 before God decided that I would be a mother. I carried a son, I gave birth to him prematurely. He died shortly thereafter. My horizontal dimension said, give up, throw in the towel, quit. But my vertical dimension said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. And I'm gonna bless the name of the Lord. About 30 days later, my mother went to see the Lord in eternity. 
And I said, God, you're pushing the envelope really far now. I know this can't be happening all over again in less than a month. But my, my vertical dimension said, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Two years later, the death angel didn't come back, but I ended up in divorce court with the man that I thought would be my partner for life. My horizontal dimension said, you're lonely. You can't make it on your own, and nobody wants to be with you. But my vertical dimension said... For the make the, in Isaiah 54 verse 5 it says for thy maker is thy husband the Lord of hosts is his name the God of the whole earth shall he be called when my soul remembered just who God was I was able to come through all of those things and still play my one string on my heart I thank God I had a praying family because now at 57 years old when I look back at what God has done with my life I know that I'm here for the most part because of a praying mama and a praying grandmama, but I had to come to know God for myself. I had to know who he was so that my soul had something to draw from in the time of trouble. I now understand why my foreparents had the tenacity to hope. My prayer is that you will keep on hoping, keep on praying, regardless to your life situation, because God does hear and answer prayer. And in the age of your mess, when your life is out of control, he'll take your mess and make a message out of your life. Just when you want to give up, stop, reflect, and allow your soul to remember. Amen. Amen.